Luke 22:66. When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council, and they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. Then they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. Chapter 23, Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation, forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, the king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from from Galilee even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him with splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people, and after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish him and release him. But they all cried out together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify him, crucify him. A third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they had asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. Let's pray together. Jesus, even in these verses here, we see your goodness. We see your great, incredible goodness. We see indeed that you deserve to be crowned with all the crowns. You get all the crowns. You get all of them. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. And ashamed, we say that we were among the mockers. And it is, it is our sin that held you on the cross. And we confess we do not know why we should gain from your reward. 
we cannot give an answer. But we know with all our heart your wounds have paid our ransom. We thank you. Amen. What do these trials prove? That's always the, that's always the question, right? If you're, if you're watching a TV show or a, a movie and you see a courtroom drama unfold, right? You've got the, the judge there, you've got the jury, and you've got the, the uh, attorneys, and you've got the defendant. You've got the guy who's been arrested of, and, and he's, he's accused of something. Um, the, the, the defendant there. And the question is, is the defendant guilty? And so as we open up Luke 22, 66, we ask ourselves, is Jesus guilty? We know, most of us know, if you're familiar with the book of Luke, you, you know that in um, just one chapter, Jesus is going to be executed. He is going to be executed. Does he deserve it? Is Jesus guilty? Does he deserve to be executed? That's always the question when you're, when you're watching a courtroom drama unfold. And we, we have here three trials. We have three trials here. We have Jesus standing before the chief priests and the scribes. We have Jesus standing before Herod. We have Jesus standing before Pilate. What do these three trials prove? Is Jesus guilty? Now, you and I, especially if you've had the uh, pleasure of listening to me preach through the book of Luke, you and I, are we can cheat a little bit, can't we? Because we have evidence that they completely ignore in this trial. These trials don't bring up some of the evidence that's most important to us. Luke has done his work. Luke has created eyewitness accounts. Luke has done the work. And so he has given us wonderful testimony that doesn't even get mentioned here. It doesn't even, doesn't even get mentioned in these trials. But we know, if by God's grace we've been convinced that Luke is telling the truth, if we're convinced that not only is Luke telling us this, but this is the Word of God. Luke is being carried along by the Spirit of God as he has recorded these first 22 chapters and, and all of his chapters for us. We, we, have, we have eyewitness testimony that the chief priests and Herod and Pilate aren't even interested in. They're not even going to engage with. We, we know that Jesus was born of a virgin. We, we know that he is, he is all man. He is completely man, but he is also all God. He is the Son of Man, but he is the Son of God. We also know that God the Father said about Jesus when Jesus was being baptized, God the Father, came, his voice came from heaven and said, this is my Son. We, we've seen as Jesus has been truly, perfectly obedient we saw the transfiguration where the glory of God shone in the face of Jesus Christ. For just a moment, we, we heard how Peter and James and John beheld His majesty. We've seen miracle after miracle after miracle. 
We, we've seen as Jesus has calmed the storm and cast out devils and, and, and raised the dead. We've seen prophecies come true. The, the, the blind see and the lame leap for joy. So if by God's grace we have been convinced that Luke is telling the truth, then we know something that it seems like the chief priests and the scribes aren't even willing to consider. We know something that doesn't even occur to Herod. We know something that Pilate knows nothing of. We know that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Christ. He is, he is the Christ. We know that He is the one that we need to save us from our sins. We, we're gonna need His death on the cross to save us from our sins. We know that He is the King that we must follow all the days of our lives. We know that we will indeed stand one day before Him. And He's going to judge everyone everywhere. And every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that He is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. So let me tell you a secret. Here's another thing we, we know. When we consider all of that, we realize Jesus is not the one on trial here. Jesus is not the one on trial here. The question is not whether or not Jesus stands guilty before the chief priests and, and before Herod and before Pilate. The question is, do they stand guilty before Him? And the question for us is, when we stand before Him, will we stand guilty? Will we stand guilty before Him? Mark Baumgartner and I talk about preaching a lot. When I say Mark Baumgartner and I talk about preaching, what I mean is, he says, Steve, here's what you should have done. No. No, that's not what I mean. That's not what I mean. That's not what I mean at all. He's very gracious. He may be thinking it. He hardly ever says it. Mark, I love the comforting passages. Those are the ones that are emotionally easy for me to preach. When I know that the passage in front of me, the mood of the passage, the point of the passage is just me comforting the people of God. I love those passages. This is not one of those. This is a warning. This is a, this is a severe warning. This is not emotionally easy for me to preach. This is emotionally exhausting for me to preach, and it's going to be hard for you to listen to if you're listening. Because it's a warning passage. It's going to be hard for you, as you're listening to this, to not think of the people in your life that you care about who don't care about Jesus. This is a hard passage but it's one we need to look at because we do indeed see three guilty verdicts this morning. We see that the the chief priests and the scribes are guilty of, of what we'll call stubborn rejection. Herod is guilty of shallow rejection and Pilate is guilty of short-sighted rejection. We see, we see that, that these three, these three guilty verdicts Plain as day as we look through these chapter, through these verses, 
So let's look at them one by one. First, the chief priests and the scribes are guilty of stubborn rejection. Luke has made it very clear, as we've worked through the, the, the last several chapters, the chief priests and the scribes just want to kill Jesus. They, they hate Him, and they're looking for a way to kill Him. I mean, they don't want to, they, they don't want to be guilty of murder. They're not going to do anything illegal. They want to do it within the, within the, the laws of the land, but they want to kill Him. And they've, they've finally got Him, right? They've, they've got Him, they arrested Him in the middle of the night, and they've got him, and they've, and they've got him in this, now this trial, that, that Jesus is standing before them, and Jesus has to answer whether or not he claims to be the Messiah. Because the crime would be that he is falsely claiming to be the Messiah. He falsely claims to be the Christ. They reject the idea that he could be telling the truth. They just want him to be on the record saying that he is the Messiah. Because then they can get him for blasphemy. They can condemn him for blasphemy. Then they can, they can have the, the Jewish people against him, and then they just gotta get Rome against him, and they're, they're good to go. So they say in verse 67, if you are the Christ, tell us. And he says some of the saddest, scariest words in the Bible. Jesus looks at them and says, if I answer you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. Jesus is looking at them and He's saying, you don't care about the truth. You don't care about the truth. You've already rejected Me. You want nothing to do with Me. You want to kill Me. You're not willing to even listen to the truth. The Old Testament prophecies have been fulfilled in Me right in front of you and you don't care. You've seen Me do and say what only the Messiah could do and say and you don't care. You just want to kill Me. You don't want the truth. But Jesus is going to give them the truth anyway. He says in verse 69, But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Jesus says that He Himself is the Son of Man and that He will be invested with divine authority. He's going to sit at the right hand of the Father. He is equating Himself with God the Father. He is going to be invested with divine power and divine authority. Jesus is saying, yes, I'm the Christ. Yes, I'm the Son of Man. Yes, I'm the Son of God. And th- that's it. This is like, have you ever, have you ever watched C-SPAN? No, you have not. But if you ever had, you would um, watch those Senate hearings, right? Where you've got all of these Senates who we, Senate, senators who we pay like a lot of money and they thankfully come back from their two-month vacation because they have to, um, they have to have this Senate hearing, right? And so there's this person who's giving testimony before the Senate, senators and, 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 and he says something. The, the person giving testimony says something. And so they all lean and, you know, they, their glasses are, and, and, uh, and they say, wait, say that into the microphone. Say that again. Say that again. We want to make sure we get that on record. What did you say? Say it again. They're like, we've got him. Verse 70, so are you the son of God then? And he said to them, you say that I am. And that response, which is much debated by people who, who um, I guess don't have as many children as I have because they spent a lot of time debating exactly what Jesus meant by that, but it's pretty clear that this is how they heard it. They heard the affirmative. In some way, Jesus is saying, yep, you said it. 
Then they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. And the fascinating thing, the fascinating thing, is that none of them stop and say, but wait, wait a second, wait, 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 wait. Could he be telling the truth? We've seen a lot of stuff. We've, we've, we've heard a lot of stories. We've seen him teach. We've heard him teach in ways no one else does. We have, we have, we have seen him do things that no one else can do. Is it possible that he is the Messiah? They don't stop and consider that for a moment. Because they're not interested in the truth. They are trying to kill him. And we see just how much of a sham this all is. We, we see how much they are just disinterested in the truth when we turn to chapter 23 and we see what they say to Pilate. Listen to what the chief priests and the scribes say to Pilate. This is fascinating. This is like, uh, we just blatantly don't care about the truth at all. We just want to get this guy executed. Verse, verse 1 of chapter 23, Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. They need Pilate. Um, they don't like Pilate, but they need him because they, because they, they can't order Jesus to be executed. They, they don't have the legal authority to, to, um, to order a public execution. They can't do it, so they need Pilate to do it. Pilate is the Roman prefect or the Roman governor. Pilate has the legal authority to sentence someone to execution. So they need Pilate, so they bring him to Pilate, verse 2, and they begin to accuse him. And listen to what they accuse him of. They said, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. Nope, that's not what he did. That's really not even close. I mean, they have some of the words, but nothing, none of the truth and saying that he himself is Christ a king. Now, what they're doing here is they're trying to talk about stuff that Pilate will care about. They know that if they said to Pilate, Pilate, this guy, he claims to be the Messiah, and he is blaspheming against our God, Pilate doesn't care if someone blasphemes against the Jewish God. He doesn't care about that at all. At all, he's going to say, next, I'm not, I'm not going to talk with you about that. You sort that. You sort out your own religious squabbles yourself. I'm not interested in that. But they're thinking, if, if they can kind of make Jesus out to be a political revolutionary, someone who might try to overthrow Rome, if they can make Jesus out to be that then maybe Pilate will get involved. So what they're doing there is they're saying that he is a political threat against Rome when they know for sure he's not. In fact, listen to this, that's one of the reasons they don't like him, is because he's not a political threat against Rome. This is one of the reasons they just reject him as the Messiah, because he's, because he's not all about overthrowing Rome. And so they know this is categorically untrue. They know they are lying. They are saying to Pilate, this man is a threat against you, against the Roman Empire. And they know full well. They don't, this is one of the reasons they don't like him is because they, they know he's not this. They're just lying. They don't care about the truth. They only care about Jesus getting executed. They don't care about the truth. They are guilty of stubborn rejection. Before we move on, I want to ask you, because I don't know why you're here this morning. 
I don't know why you're here. There's lots of reasons to come to church. I don't know why you're here this morning, but I want to, I want to ask you before we move on, do you care about the truth? Do you care about the truth? Do you care what the Scripture actually says about Jesus? Have you flatly rejected the Gospel? Maybe no one else knows it but you. You've flatly rejected the Gospel. Do you care about the truth? The first thing these trials prove is that the chief priests and the scribes are guilty of stubborn rejection. Second, Herod is guilty of shallow rejection. So verses 3 through 5, Pilate's like, I, 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 this guy is not a political revolutionary. Pilate's, Pilate has by this time been the prefect, the governor of Rome, uh, of, of, this, of Judea, of this Roman province for um, like over a decade probably by this time, or pushing on a decade. He'd seen political insurrectionists before. He'd, he'd seen someone who is, who is interested in starting a revolution. He's seen those kinds of people before. This is not that. Don't bring this to me. This is stupid. You really want me to think that this guy is about to overthrow Rome. You really think that I'm an idiot, Pilate says. And we know Pilate is a little bit insulted by this foolishness because he keeps arguing with them when really he shouldn't care one way or the other. What does it matter to him? One more dead Jew. Why does he care? Why does he not? He's not emotionally invested in this. Why does he care? Because he's, he's insulted by their stupidity. Don't come to me saying this guy's a threat. But then they say, well, he's been teaching throughout Judea. Against He stirs up the people. He's from Galilee. Oh, Galilee. Pilate picks up on Galilee. Ah, I know a guy in Galilee. <laughs> I will just send this matter over to him. This sounds like a, hey, this sounds like a job for Herod. This will be great. I'll just send it to Herod. He loves this stuff. So he texts Herod. Herod, you in Jerusalem? Herod, yeah, what's up? God, I got a thing you're going to love. Ah, all right, I'm in. And they were buddies after that. For you know, they they'd had their trouble, but for some reason, Pilate kind of giving this little job to Herod made Herod like Pilate again. Herod's we're going to see kind of a shallow dude. This was enough for them to be friends. So he sends Jesus over to Herod. A verse eight: When Herod saw Jesus. He was very glad, for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. Okay, so I want us to key in on just how shallow um, Herod is. Herod's like, oh, good. This will be fun. It's a a spectacle. I've heard Jesus has done some really cool things. He's done some amazing things. I'll have him stomp around in our water fountain. Maybe he can walk on the water. I'll I'll have him see if he can he can he can hire he can he can fix Jimmy's arthritis. This is going to be fun. He's going to do some trick for us. He's going to we're going to say to him, prove to us that you're the Christ, and then he's going to make something happen. It's going to be great. Herod thinks. Verse nine. So he questioned him at length questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by 
vehemently accusing him. And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. Herod didn't say one way or the other whether he thought Jesus was guilty or innocent, whether he deserves death, whether he doesn't. Herod's not, Herod's not even, he, he can't even be bothered to think much about this. But when Jesus stops being entertaining, Herod sends him away. Okay, well, I had my fun. I'm done. Herod questions him. And the idea there is the idea of of questioning him to to prove himself, to, to give a sign. Herod wanted to see a sign. And Jesus doesn't answer him at all. He says very little to Pilate. He says very little to the chief priests. He says nothing to Herod. And the dignity of Jesus here again, gives him the, the, uh, the feel of the judge, right? Like it's, it's like, it's like everybody else is sort of a bunch of buffoons. Jesus is the only one with some maturity, with some dignity. It's, it's almost like Jesus, and he is, it's almost like Jesus is standing in judgment over these guys. We see here, Herod is so shallow. He treats Jesus like a spectacle. And when Jesus doesn't do anything entertaining for him, he dresses Jesus up like a fake king, he mocks him, and then he sends him back to Pilate. He doesn't make a judgment on Jesus. To him, Jesus is worth a few minutes of entertainment, and that's all. And when Jesus stops being entertaining, Herod sends him back to Pilate. This is shallow rejection. This isn't the stubborn, I hate him kind of, kind of rejection that we saw with the chief priests and the scribes. This is the, I can't really be bothered. If he's not really, if he's not fun, then I, I, I can't be bothered with him. I'm not super interested in, in deciding whether he's really the king or not. I just, you know, he's, he, I thought he, I thought he would be interesting. He wasn't super interesting. I thought he'd be entertaining. Not so much. So I'm kind of done with him now. We see this everywhere today. We see it everywhere today. It's everywhere. There's, there's a lot of people that they, they wouldn't say they hate Jesus. They, they, they wouldn't say that. They, they're not trying to eradicate Jesus from society. They're, they're not, you know, they're, they're, they don't, they don't really, they're not passionate anti-Jesus. But they also can't be bothered with him. He's, He's not super entertaining. He's not super interesting. And if I'm not entertained, I really don't have time. I, I want to stop and ask before we move on to Pilate, I want to ask you, um, is Jesus your king? Is Jesus your king? If, if, and again, I don't know why you're here this morning. I don't know why you're here. And you're like, you keep asking me that, I'm gonna just never come back. <laughs> I don't mean it that way. I don't know what's happening. When I say I don't know why you're here this morning, it means I don't know what's happening in your heart. I don't. I know that humans are just really good at faking stuff really good at faking stuff. I know that. So I don't know what's happening in your heart. But I do know that there are people who 
are part of church and they, they call themselves Christians and they carry along with it for a while, sometimes for a long while, and then Jesus just stops doing it for them. He's, he, he, he doesn't do the stuff that they think He's going to do. He's not as entertaining. He's not as gratifying. He doesn't have the instant gratification that they really thought He would have. They just, it's not really doing it for me anymore. And they bail on Him. They ditch Him. They don't make a big, hardcore, anti-Jesus thing. They just kind of fade out. They kind of they kind of let someone else deal with it. I I just want you to to uh, consider this morning: Are is Jesus your king? Is he your king? Not are you mildly impressed or mildly entertained by him, but is he your king? Third. Pilate is guilty of short-sighted rejection. Pilate is guilty of short-sighted rejection. So, so Herod sends him back to Pilate, and for, for the rest of the... Like, they were just buddies after that. They, they had been not buddies, and now they're buddies. So that's a nice little note Luke has for us. Okay, I, I guess I care about that. I don't know. I'm glad Herod and Pilate can now have lunch dates. I don't, I don't know. Whatever. Anyhow, Herod and Pilate are friends... But what we see here as we watch Pilate operate is that he's not an idiot. There's, a, there's been a lot of ink spilled about Pilate. There's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of theories about Pilate. And some of them paint him to be like, um, not super intelligent or, or super like, um, um, I- impulsive or irresponsible. There's no way that Pilate was not super intelligent. There's no way he was a dummy. He, he held his position for more than 10 years. You, you, don't, you, you, can't, you can't hang on to your head that long working for the Roman Empire unless you know what you're doing. Pilate definitely made some mistakes. And in the end, those mistakes are going to get him. But, but Pilate lasts for a long time. And that includes... So, so Pilate is, is... He governs over a bunch of people who hate him because he's a poster boy for their oppression. I mean, he, they hate the Roman Empire who have taken over their land. And so Pilate is like the representative for that. So they, they hate Pilate. The Jews hate Pilate. But then also, the people Pilate works for, the Caesars who come and go, uh, who keep getting murdered in their sleep... Um, the, the, the Caesars who come and go, they're not exactly stable people. And so it's... And, and they, they could, at the drop of a hat, or whatever they call those little leaf things they wear, uh, they could exile him, execute him. So Pilate is always... He always needs to play his cards right. And so that's what we see in these verses. Pilate trying to play his cards right. Pilate trying to do the politically savvy thing. So he says to the people in verse 13, he calls them together, and then verse 14, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people, like someone trying to raise up an insurrection, and after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. This is foolishness. 
I'm a little bit insulted. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us, all dressed up. It was weird. I read that part into it. That's not in there. Look, he says, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. Now, when, when, when um, Pilate says punish, he has a very particular thing there. That, that punish is a, is a technical Roman idea. And that's, I mean, that's a, that's, that's flogging. It's, it's public. It's gruesome. It's violent. It's painful. It's bloody. It should be enough. And so Pilate is willing to do this to Jesus, even though he thinks he's innocent, which gives you a little bit of insight into the way Pilate works. Pilate's thinking, maybe this will be enough. I will, I will flog Jesus. It is, it is horrendous. That should be enough, right? That should appease you people. But they all cried out together, away with this man and release to us Barabbas. So there was a deal where the, the Roman government would release a, a prisoner to the people. And so, so what seems like is happening here is Pilate's thinking, hey, I will, I will, okay, we've got Jesus. He's arrested. I'll release him. Let's do that. I'll release him. And they said, no, give us Barabbas, which incredibly ironically, verse 19, he was a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Like, Pilate was, I mean, um, Barabbas was actually guilty, caught in the act of doing the things that they had accused Jesus of. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why, what evil has he done? I find in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent. So they're not really offering proof. They're just saying crucify him. He's saying, where's your proof? They're saying kill him. So this is not, this is not a logical conversation. They're getting nowhere, right? You're not answering, you're not answering the question I'm asking. You're just saying the thing you want to say. They were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus, who as far as he could tell was guiltless, over to their will. The chief priests and the scribes have stirred up an element of the people. We don't know how many people, which people, but we know they've stirred up a a, a crowd of people, a mob of people against Jesus. Not interested in debating whether or not he is guilty. They're just interested in Pilate sentencing him to crucifixion and to death. So what does Pilate do here? He does the short-sighted thing. He does the thing that makes the most political sense. He does the thing that keeps the peace. He really doesn't want an insurrection, especially arguing with people about whether or not that this man is, a, is guilty of an insurrection. He doesn't, he doesn't want to start an insurrection, fuel an insurrection, Pilate's just trying to keep the peace. He's trying to do the politically smart thing. And so he knows Jesus isn't guilty. He doesn't 
really care. What he most cares about is just getting these people off my back. I mean, he, I mean he's not even really concerned about his poll numbers. Um, believe it or not, our current president's poll numbers, not great. There were no poll numbers for Pilate. They would have polled the people. They would, it would have been 0%. We, none of us like him, right? Every year, your poll numbers came back. Are they zero still? Yes. Okay. Nobody out there? Nope. 0.5%? Nope. Would anybody vote for me? Nope. Well, it's a good thing, you know. It's not up to them. Pilate's not worried about whether or not people like him so he can get his initiatives passed. Pilate just doesn't want to have to continue to bring the army out to, to squelch revolutions and insurrections. He wants peace in the land. He wants to be seen from up top. He wants the emperor to think Pilate knows what he's doing. He keeps the peace. Let him keep his job. Pilate does the easy thing. Pilate does the easy thing and he turns his back on Jesus. Intellectually, he's convinced that Jesus is absolutely not guilty of what they're accusing him of. Does the easy thing. So I have a final question for you. And this is a question that I have wrestled with myself. I, um, and, and, and I'm not just saying I have wrestled with it. I, I have wrestled with it. This, this week I was talking with Colin and with uh, Kyle. And um, I, uh, I showed them this book that had been written about how um, dangerous pastoring is. And, and not, not like physically dangerous, although for some people around the world it is right now physically dangerous, um, spiritually dangerous. Um, how, how, how susceptible pastors are to completely falling away, to turning their back on everything and chasing after something else. And so that's what the book is about. Three of the five pastors who, who wrote the blurbs for the back of the book have fallen. It's just the most non-funny, ironic thing. Three of the five pastors have turned their back on the gospel. Made fools of themselves. So, I'm saying this to all of us. Me, Colin, and then you peasants. Colin loves it when I say stuff like that. Almost as much as my wife loves it. So I'm going to get two people yelling at me after the service. So you guys don't need to. Trust me, they'll get me. (laughs) Why are you here this morning? Is Jesus your king? Is Jesus your only hope in life and death? Is he your savior? Is he your king?
Because if he's not, when it's no longer convenient, you will ditch him. There aren't a ton of places in the world where it's convenient to follow Jesus. Where it's convenient to go to church every Sunday, to, to say that you're a Christian, where it kind of makes, it kind of makes social reputation sense in Warsaw, Indiana to say you're a Christian, even if you're not. Where I lived in Massachusetts, nobody pretended to be a Christian there. It got you nothing. It did nothing for you in the community. It didn't help your business. I mean, it, nobody put crosses on their business vans. Like, what is that? Who, who does that? What is the point? That impresses nobody. Nobody's going nobody's gonna to go to church if they don't want to. If they don't love Jesus, what is the point of going to church? That is a waste of a perfectly good, you know, extra business day, really. The day I can get stuff done. But you move to Warsaw, Indiana, which I did seven years ago and I'm still recovering. You move to Warsaw, Indiana, and it's like, it's like a social good. It's like good for your business. It's good politically. It's good when you're standing in the community to say you're a Christian. So my question is, are you a Christian? Are you here because it's convenient? Or are you here because Jesus is your King? He is the judge. This, the, the, the trial looks backwards in this story. It looks like Jesus is the one standing trial before these goofballs. But what's going to happen is, is one day we're going to bow before Him and He's going to have all the crowns. He's going to have all the glory. All the kings and all the people like you and me are going to bow before Him and we're all going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And though the question on that day will be, are you, am I, guilty of rejecting the Son of God? There's only one way to be ready for that day. Repent of your sins and believe the Gospel. You and I are like Barabbas. We stand guilty. We are actually guilty. Of the the punishment that Jesus took, we're guilty of it. And we deserve more than just like physical death. We deserve spiritual death. We deserve punishment. Eternal punishment from God in hell for our sins. So if you've... If you're just sort of like here because it's convenient or because it's mildly entertaining or because, I don't know, your family's here so I guess I'll come too. I don't know. Confess that only Jesus can save you. Your only hope is His death on the cross. His resurrection. Repent of your sins. Believe the Gospel. And church, let's keep telling this message. It's, it's, to me, and maybe it's not to you, but to me, it's emotionally exhausting to preach this message to you. To preach sober warning to you. That's the, that's the, the heart of this passage, so I want it to be the heart of the sermon, but it's tiring. And it's tiring to tell our friends and our loved ones and our neighbors, especially because we just told them six months ago, and so it just feels like we're saying the same thing that they already know. It's just, it's hard. 
Tell the people you love that they're not standing in judgment over Jesus. Jesus is standing in judgment over them. Urge them to repent of their sins and believe the Gospel before it's too late. Let's tell that message. And now, church, we get to remember. We get to remember that we we are the ones who should have been there getting mocked, getting spit on, getting humiliated. We are the ones who should have been stripped naked hung violently, publicly on a cross because we are the ones who are actually guilty. But Jesus Christ in His great courage, obedience, and love stood in our place. I'm going to pray and then Craig is going to come up and lead us in the Lord's Supper where we can remember this together. God, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You for Your Word. I am... uh, Some passages of Scripture, God, especially when we get closer and closer to the crucifixion and the death of Jesus Christ, I am reminded... Um, powerfully reminded that I don't have good enough words for this. I don't have good enough words for the goodness of Jesus. We thank you that we don't have to have good enough words. We simply must believe the words that you have given us. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.